Hey guys, it's Joanne. Just real quick before we get started with this week's episode, I want to let you know that today's episode is sexually explicit. It is absolutely not appropriate to be listened to in front of children or anyone who's not ready to hear sexually explicit content. Okay, here's this week's episode. You are listening to the Fancy Free Podcast, where my guests and I tell our most embarrassing, funny stories so that we all feel less alone in our imperfections and forge connection through vulnerability and humor. I'm Joanne Jarrett, and I'm your host. And today I have with me Katie Love. Katie is a writer, comedian, and the producer of Laugh Gallery, an unscripted series featuring funny people reviewing art. Katie performs at such venues as the Comedy Store, Hollywood Improv, Laugh Factory, and Flappers. She is the author of the novel Cubicide and the upcoming memoir Two Tickets to Paradise from Cult to Comedy. Katie resides in Los Angeles with a 20-pound cat and no regrets. Learn more about Katie at writelaughlove.com. Katie, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Joanne. I'm so excited. Oh, good. I think you're so smart to put your website in your bio. I think I might steal that idea from you because a lot of people don't listen all the way to the end. So brilliant on you. Thank you very much. I try to be brilliant, you know, in between whatever faux pas, embarrassing moment I'm having (laughs) out in Los Angeles. I try to have, you know, a modicum of intelligence running Uh at at some level. (laughs) I love it. So smart. You live with a 20-pound cat. What's your cat's name? My cat's name is Tig after Tigger, and I call him Tig the Wee Tiger. And he's like a dog, pretty much. He <laughs> is a cog. He comes when I call him. He chases things. He talks to me. I should probably try walking him. I think that could get me some dates, walking around the neighborhood <laughs> with Tig. Yeah. Have you ever tried to put a harness on him? No, I have not. But when I adopted him, I adopted him on Mother's Day about eight years ago. They said that he's good with dogs and that he's good in a harness, which just felt wow. like a lot of information. Like, um, well, maybe he's not going to be that kind of a fetish cat with me. So let's just... <laughs> yeah, you're like let, new life, new yeah, Right? <laughs> like, let's just see if we can have more of a demure cat. I don't know. So no, I let's give them some freedom to decide. <laughs> okay, let's get to know you a little bit better with your rapid fire questions. What was your very first job? My first job, I think I was 16. And hilariously enough, I was already married. What? I know. I was married and divorced by the time I was 21. So I got married like two months before I turned 17. And we wanted to buy a house at 18 because I was getting a, a chunk of change at seven at 18. And so I had to get a job to establish some income. And so I got a job at Winchell's. He was working at Chevron. I was working at Winchell's. I looked like hell. I felt like hell. I ate all the donuts. And uh, mm. it was just an impossible schedule of getting up at 5 a.m. and oh, and sorry. running down there and making donuts. And then I had to wear a hairnet, which, you know, that was the days <laughs> of like, you know, the beautiful, big, big hair, the fair. Giant hair. Yeah, it was That's kinda, humiliating for any teenager. Right? Much it, less an 80s teenager. Much, <laughs> much less a teenager that's married already, which was probably humiliating oh enough. Gosh. At the time, I thought it was cool. And then, I don't know, six months in, not so cool. Mm. And I was not pregnant, just for the audience. No, I did not have a bun in the oven. I thought I was in love and grew up in a what I consider a cult religion. And you didn't date. You just got married. So as, <laughs> as soon as I started dating, I basically got married. Yeah. All right. I feel like 
I need we need to rewind a little bit. If you don't mind, sure. I am curious and nosy, and I really like people and their stories. And so I want to hear your story. I just tell Absolutely. us like the, the the capsule version of how how you came to be where you are today and where you started. Sure. I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness, essentially. My mother died by suicide when I was nine years old. And my sister took me in. She was 14 years my senior. And so she was in the ripe old age of her 20s and decided Mm. to take me in and make me part of her home that she shared with her husband and new two-year-old toddler. And so at the time, she was studying with Jehovah's Witnesses. She was very zealous. So, you know, the first thing I was told after finding my mother had killed herself was, hey, do you want to see your mother again? Now, what nine-year-old kid isn't going to say, yes, please? And do you want to see her happy? And of course I did. Well, if you do everything that Jehovah says and be this perfect little Jehovah's Witness, you'll see your mother again in paradise. Well, I went from this latchkey kid watching dark shadows and and uh, which was uh, for the audience that may not know what Dark Shadows was. It was this kooky, 70s, very macabre soap opera that featured vampires just feeding on whatever they could find, mostly women. Oh, my gosh. A little sidebar here. I had a guest of several weeks ago who is an attorney, and her funny story was about getting caught dumpster diving by opposing counsel. <laughs> she had a reason for it. But anyway, she said that the thing she's loving these days is Dark Shadows. She bought the entire DVD collection. It's, it's like 100 DVDs. I should get that. In a coffin. It's in a coffin. No, I need that. This will uh-huh. make me revisit the best part of my childhood. So I grew up basically watching Lucille Ball and Jerry Lewis for comedy and then Dark Shadows for my drama. And my mother was working all the time and she had a real problem with depression, obviously, and alcoholism. And I was this latchkey kid. So suddenly she's gone and now I'm living with my sister in this really religious household. And I I was basically running the household for as long as I can remember the other household. And so now I was looking at this Jehovah's Witness thing and I had to go preaching and I had to show up at school and say, I don't celebrate Christmas and I don't salute the flag. Mm. I am no part of this world. And the teacher was like, okay, why don't don't you go ahead and take your seat and uh, we'll get started with your first (laughs) day here at school. So, I mean, day to day, it was all about the preaching, 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 the world's ending, the world's ending. And it did make me have a love for speaking, of course. And I have, you know, the corner on knock, knock jokes in the world. But I basically stayed in the religion because if you leave, you lose your family. And that was the only family I had was my sister and her kids. And I have a brother, but he was not part of the Jehovah's Witnesses and never has been. But he had gone off to Vietnam when my mother first died Mm -hmm. and went on to have his own family. And we're very close now. But I finally left the religion, gosh, on my 30th birthday. And I've been out of the religion for, yeah, for a while, which I'm not going to tell the audience exactly (laughs) how many years because I live in Los Angeles. And we can do mental math and you you don't want to do that. I am perpetually at 49 and that's what my dating profile says. So I do a lot of math (laughs) to make sure my dating profile matches with my Facebook profile. And that's about the only (laughs) math that I know how to do. So I left the religion when I turned 30 and I left it 
in the Bahamas fornicating with an islander. And here's why that's funny. The carrot that the Jehovah's Witnesses use to say, hang in this religion, even though there's no fun, no premarital sex, no dating, no this, that, is that you will be rewarded with living in paradise for e eternity. And I literally left my religion on Paradise Island in the Bahamas, fornicating <laughs> my brains out on a white sanded beach. So my memoir is kind of the story of about what that's like to grow up in that. There's a very dark side to the story, which, you know, that's for another episode, folks. But, you know, there was a lot to overcome and then just kind of being in the world again. And then just to punish myself even further, I said, why not comedy? And I went from being in a cult to a whole different kind of cult and went and became a comedian. So that's kind of just the big, you know, overview of that. I got married when I was 16. We had to go to a judge and ask for permission to get married. Mm -hmm. And, you know, chances are if you have to go to a judge to ask if you can get married, it may not work out. I'm just, I just want to give that as <laughs> You're just throwing that just out a there. little bit of forewarning that it may not work out. That's a morsel of wisdom to tuck in your back pocket. <laughs> right. And so here I am. I'm brand new married. Right. And I married the son of an elder in the church. So I get this job at Winchell's Donuts and I get this call in the middle of the night, like at 3 a.m. And it's this creepy manager. And he's like, I need you to come down. Uh, we've got a staff shortage. I need you to come down here and get these cake donuts mm. going. And I'm like, oh, my God. And we had so we had these really strict uniforms. You had to be dressed in white because, you know, why dress in anything that's going to make you look remotely attractive with your hair net on? <laughs> Especially since you've been eating donuts. <laughs> exactly. So I'm like throwing some clothes on whatever I can find to get down there and help out with this donut crisis. And I guess the <laughs> shirt that I put on was beige instead of white. And I think I'd been working there for about three months. and. The manager comes in later after I've made, I don't know, a thousand cake donuts by now. I am exhausted. He comes in and he goes, Katie, it's not acceptable that you would come in in anything other than a white uniform. This is very important for our image. And you cannot be in Winchell's unless you are wearing white so that the customer knows that you are working for us. And I go, oh, I, I think they know I'm covered in donuts. And my hair is in a hairnet. At the time that he was giving me a hard time, I was holding this tray of little frosted cake donuts that I just pulled out of this gross fryer. And it became very clear that it was time for me to leave this adventure. And I just held up my hands and dropped the tray and said, I quit. Oh. And then all the little donuts went rolling all over the place. And I stood there and just sort of watched it in slow-mo. Like just slow motion, these rolling donuts. I, I think it was the first time I'd stuck up for myself at all, you oh, know, since my mother wow. died to up to this, you know, this, this grand donut extravaganza <laughs> moment. No one's going to tell me I can't wear beige. <laughs> I was out of there, man. And uh, so that was my first job was Winchell's Donuts. Mm. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Right? Yeah. Oof, that's a good one. <laughs> have you ever met a celebrity? I have. When I first came to Los Angeles, this is this is so embarrassing. I even cringe because it was just so unprofessional. <laughs> I go to the improv because I'm trying to get on at the improv and that's like the club, right? 
I'd been on at the Laugh Factory. I'd been on at the Comedy Store, and I was pretty excited. Things were starting to move a little bit. But I really wanted to get on at the Improv. That's where all the stars went, darling. And I wanted to get on the stage, and I knew no one. I knew Aisha Tyler when I first got to town. We had met in line in San Francisco when we first started comedy. But I just knew I needed to get up at the Improv. So I'm at the Improv bar. I'm sitting at the bar, and I am sloshed which I couldn't have gone up anyway. That's kind of a rule. Like you don't just like drink and then go out. I, I, it's my rule. Like I just would never do that. But I'm having a good time and I'm having a few drinks. And I see that Jerry Seinfeld is at the end of the bar. And I am so excited because I have just written a spec script for Seinfeld. And why doesn't the world know about this yet? I can't even believe this luck. So I'm sitting at the bar. I'm at a bar still. And I just, I just <laughs> lean back. And I looked down the row of amazing, famous comics that are sitting at this bar. And I go, hey, Jerry. He he leans back. (laughs) I go, I wrote a script for you. He's like, great. And then he just leans forward. And then I'm just I'm just sitting there like a dork. And I feel really embarrassed. And for whatever reason, I was ordering calamari and the calamari came and I said, calamari for everyone and i thought that was the funniest thing that i had ever said and then i proceeded to sit there with my calamari by myself this weird new comic in town and do a high-pitched giggle and i giggled and ate that calamari at the end of the bar like a freak and to this day jerry has never called and said Hey, what was that script about? Let me read that script. (laughs) So that never happened. All righty then. Gosh darn it. Well, that's his loss. Right? That's what I have to say about that. That's what I think too. (laughs) Well, never mind then, Jerry. I'll move on to someone else. Never mind. Calamari for everyone. And sometimes I still say that. It's like, I don't know, 25 years later and I'm still, every once in a while, I'll just say it. Because it's just like... You know, in case you want calamari, you could get some of mine. And I don't know. I think it might bond people. So it's still <laughs> something I say that makes me laugh to this day. And I invite the audience oh, to I also say it if it makes them happy. Uh, it's very fancy sounding. Okay. Have you ever met someone with a strange, strange name? My guitar teacher, when I was a teenager, his name was Rocky Stump. And we lived out in the country in a little town between Sacramento and San Francisco called Dixon. So we had this little weird uh-huh. piece of farmland and this red crooked house. It was a on a crooked foundation, I used to call it, a little crooked house on the prairie. <laughs> and so Rocky Stump would come out there, and we would sit outside, and he would teach me guitar. And my sister would always come out and preach to him. She was constantly, like, trying to give him the watchtower and her wigs. And he was just such a cool hippie, man. And he'd be like, religion isn't for me, man. Just live by the golden rule, man. I'm Rocky Stump, and he was my hero, (laughs) and I don't know whatever happened to him. So hopefully all is well with Rocky Stump. You should Google it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, what's your home decorating style? I have an affinity for all things royal, and then I get to use this fake Elizabethan voice when I talk about it. (laughs) But I have a hand-painted throne. I have crowns everywhere. I have crown pillows, crown stamps on things. I have little crown plaques. I wear crown, I not wear crowns on my head because that would be really awkward, but I have crown necklaces and jewelry, this little crowns on it. And uh, I did this really fun video for the, the show I produced, Laugh Gallery, where we review art 
and try to erase the elitism or have a bridge to buying and supporting local artists. So I reviewed a piece that I purchased called The Queen Bee, and it hangs in my bedroom and she has a crown. And I did this fun piece where I showed everyone my crowns. And then I lost some friends after that. I just don't think people understand what it is to be friends with royalty. (laughs) Just too much pressure. But that's on Instagram. If anybody wants to see it, laugh underscore gallery. That's my decorating style. Royalty. Nice. What TV show are you hooked on or what's been your favorite binge watch? Okay, this is crazy because I just finished three seasons of A Million Little Things. And, you know, it's got a really deep sense to it, a deep foundation, because they lost a friend to suicide. And, of course, I lost my mother to suicide. So I was interested to see how they were going to handle this. And they've done a very good job of that. However, the support from the friends in the show is very exaggerated. I just can't get enough of it. I laugh out loud. I, I don't know where they got these friends, but everybody supports each other to the degree that One character, Gary, loses his dog and the entire group stops what they're doing. And I mean, one's a lawyer. You know, they have all these important things they're doing. One lady just had a baby. It's like everybody stops what they're doing and they go help this friend with whatever crisis might be happening. She's dragging her placenta around looking for the dog. And she's like, I got to go help my friend. It's just ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, I just flew into Burbank last week and I couldn't get any friends to pick me up at the airport. And there is a Lyft and Uber driver shortage. I had to take a taxi. Oh, that's expensive. Right? Where were the million little things cast then? Nobody was there for me. Back on it. I just finished season three, and I really hope there's a season four. I haven't been able to find it yet. I'm going to interrupt the episode just real quick to tell you a cute shelfie shop story. So as many of you know, I designed and had manufactured a line of super cozy women's loungewear that basically looks like streetwear but feels like pajamas, and every outfit has a really cozy built-in flattering shelf bra as well as a pocket for your phone. This is the stuff that I have been living in. I hadn't started wearing it until recently because I didn't want to make anything unavailable for orders, but I just broke into it recently. And you guys, oh my gosh, it's like the floodgates open. It's all I want to wear. Today I went for my monthly bikini wax and I had given the gal that does this bikini wax every month one of our shelf bra maxis as a gift. And it's so funny because I brought it into her just so that she could try it out and see what I was talking about. And then she said, oh my gosh, today's my birthday. So it was a really perfect birthday gift for her. Today was my next appointment. And she said, oh my gosh, I put that dress on when I get home from work. And she has two young sons. And she said, they both said, mom, you look so pretty in your new dress. And she said, they never compliment me on my clothes. And I'm like in my cozy loungewear, but I look so cute that my sons actually noticed. So I just love that the maxi is selling really well. Also the sleeveless tunic, super cute. It's swingy and roomy without looking too roomy like a maternity top. Although I think you could even wear it in pregnancy because it's that roomy. So go to shelfieshop.com. That's S-H-E-L-F-I-E-S-H-O-P-P-E.com. Make sure you use the code Fancy Free for free shipping. And very soon, the cool weather line will be coming out. We're still working on that. But for now, we have all of the warm weather styles available.
Well, as you know, the point of this podcast is to share our not-so-fancy moments so that everyone is reminded that nobody's as fancy as they look, no matter how educated and polished and well-put-together we seem at times. So what do you have for us today? Well, I think I'll tell this story that I'm going to call May West Meets the Murderer. I think I'm just going to call it that. <laughs> I've never called it that before. <laughs> I do a tiny version of this in my stand-up, but I've never had the beautiful opportunity as I do today to tell this story properly. So I'm very honored to tell it. Awesome. All right. So okay. I am on every online dating site known to man and woman and anything in between. I'm an online dater. And I took a break during COVID, but I am ready to go back on and just throw myself in there's the royalty that I am. Uh, so I'm on this online dating. This is about five years ago when the Clinton Trump election was going on. I find this picture of this guy and he looks just smile. It was wide as the river that he's standing in. He's in fishing gear. He's in this river. It looks like it's Montana. And I'm like, he looks like a nice guy. I really like nice guys. Just good looking. But to me, sweet is really sexy. So we mm -hmm. decide that we're going to go on a date. And we go to this local L.A. taco place, and he loves it, and this is where he wants to take me great. And they serve free bean dip, and chips and salsa are my, like, favorite snack. So so mm. bean dip comes out, and so does the chips and salsa, and I am all over this stuff. I love this bean dip. There was never a moment where I said to myself, hey, Katie, you're on a date. Maybe we back off the bean dip. Nope. I just oh, kept dear. eating the bean dip and had no thought about it. Now, I am the kind of like, why don't you come up and see me sometime, Mae West? Let's do this thing. And I have no patience, and I will just like initiate a one-night stand. I'm just sort of like sexual, and I just move into it very pretty quickly. But now, okay. this might have made me seem demure because what happened was we were in the car <laughs> making out, and I had the worst bean gas you can imagine. I just was like, this thing rolled up on me inside my body. It felt like it started in my feet. I had gas, folks, is what I'm saying. And I did not know what to do with this because this was messing with my normal, hey, sailor, come on, you know. So I was getting kind of nervous, but my hand was already in his pants, just kind of like, I don't know, I call it like searching for my future. I don't know, just to kind of get an idea of what we're working with here. And I don't know, we were having a good time. We were laughing and stuff. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I've got to get this guy out of my car right now. This thing's about to go very bad. And so I pull my hands out of his pants very quickly. I acted like I'd found something in there that was unrecognizable and I just ripped my hand out of his pants and my ring comes off inside of his underwear. So that wasn't awkward at all. And then he had to dig around for my ring under his, his sack, I guess, in his undies, which crazy enough, Joanne is not the scary part or most embarrassing part or most heinous part of the story. This is not the terrible part. Okay. So then oh because I kind of seemed like I was holding out and that I must be this demure, uh, beautiful woman, of course he asked me out again, which never happened. So I had played it cool and mysterious <laughs> and I figure, okay, this is, you know, this is my payoff. I'm going to have to start acting more royal and aloof. So 
we dated on and off for a couple of months and it was, you know, mostly physical and he was super quiet. That's the thing that guy never really talked a lot. And let's face it, I'm going to do the talking for both of us. And it was just great <laughs> sex. That'll work. Also, right. Also, he took out my recyclables. So we would have like this great hmm. sex and then he'd take out the garbage. I mean, you got to love that. Right. And then, you know, the election's getting closer. And one night we started talking about it. You know, note to self, never talk about politics in the middle of foreplay. Oh, boy. So this quiet guy finally gets very animated. And he's talking to me about his hatred for Hillary Clinton and his love for Trump, which was the opposite of my beliefs. And I realized, oh, hell, what have I done? I don't have anything in common with this person right now. Sorry to the Trump supporters, but that's just not me. And I just like <laughs> try to be like, oh, well, <laughs> um, you know what? Just make sure you vote. He goes, you know, I can't vote. And I'm like, no, I no, you have to vote. That's it's, it's really important. You can't have all these strong opinions and then not exercise your right to vote. And that was just a really big deal for me because Jehovah's Witnesses don't vote. They say, we're not part mm. of the world and we're not going to vote. And they don't. And so when I finally got the rights to vote, I am adamant about voting. I think it's just a really important right to exercise. So I said, why aren't you voting? Of course you have to vote. And he said, I told you I'm a felon. Now, <laughs> oh, I'm sitting there I'm not going, sure I would have forgotten that. Because <laughs> I told you. I know I told you. And I'm like, no. I was trying to think back like, the bean dip and losing the <laughs> ring under his scrotum. When did he tell me that he was a felon? When did that happen? I don't remember this. So I said, of course, you know, like any woman say, I said, well, how, how, wow, what did you do? And how long were you, how long were you in for? And he's like, 25 years, 25 <gasps> years. I'm thinking this has got to be a massacre. <laughs> oh my I am like really disturbed by this. And remember, I'm naked under a sheet. Like, please tell me this was embezzlement. Yeah, yeah. And I <sighs> said, so what did you do? And he goes, I killed someone. <gasps> and then I say, oh, oh, my God. And I've got like chills from head to toe, right? And I'm oh. thinking about all the times we've been together and all the garbage he's taken out. And I'm just thinking to myself, <laughs> am I safe? Well, is he rehabilitated? Like I started going through all like the woke questions wow. like, well, he served his time. I should be kind. Well, wait a minute. Like, how did I not know this? And where was my intuition between the trapped farts and the lost ring and the need for attention? <laughs> right. And I just had all this like crazy, like get him out of the house. And then we're standing at the door. And of course, this time he didn't take out the recyclables. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, how did this happen? How did I sleep with a Republican? <laughs> OK, right. That's the punchline that I always tell in this like in the short version of this. Right. But then, oh I mean, truth be told, yeah, that's a two-minute joke when I do it on stage. But the thing that was so convoluted for me was that it really made me look at my entire way of being and dating, this whole, like, mm -hmm. you know, false bravado. Your selection criteria. Right? Did you get any more details? Because I'm the curious sort. Okay, I did. If somebody tells me they killed someone, I'm like, nah, I'm going to need to know more about that. No, I mean, I was a writer for the LA Times <laughs> for a while. Was it Was it? No, I'm a journalist. So I was like, he shuts the door and I'm like, -na 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 -na, doo -doo 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 -doo, on the couch, oh. wrapped up in the sheet. <laughs> you sleuthed it. And I'm Googling the hell out of this thing. And so I found the whole case online through the LA Times. It was something that happened when he was just a freshman in college, I think. 
And it was a traffic booze where he, they accidentally hit this guy and the guy that owned the car had a bunch of tickets or whatever. And they wanted to go over there and scare this guy. And, and they brought a gun to this idea and he shot the gun and it killed the guy, but they really went over there to try to scare him. And uh, both of them went to jail and, you know, he really was a nice guy. So I really grappled with that whole issue. Can someone like Mm -hmm. this, be rehabilitated. Who is he really? And who the hell was I picking this guy out of an online date? And all I had on my mind was how to hold back the fart. And, you know, <laughs> later on, I thought to myself, who is this like comedic Rubenesque Mae West thing? And how can I learn from this? You know, I kind of, I was a little bit hard on myself for a minute there. And, you know, over the, over the years, I've, you know, I've learned that you know, we, we do attract who we are into our life, but we all also shit happens. And I had to give myself yeah. a break, but it did make me stop and look at how we are in relationships at the beginning. And all I can say is really, maybe if I would have just farted, you know, in the car, <laughs> right. And, and just allowed the fart, there. right. Just allow. <laughs> Really sorry, dude. See what he does and go from there. <laughs> if they make it through the fart and then there's actual actual conversation between the two of you, maybe a real relationship could be had. And so that's the lesson, folks. <laughs> if you're out on a date and uh, you feel that coming on, go ahead and let it loose because you will find out just who your date is by being oh honest. <laughs> okay. I thought you were going to say don't eat bean dip on a first no, date. Oh, come on. <laughs> That is really extreme. I think if you should still eat the bean dip. No, I, I can't give it no. the bean dip. I don't like that rule. Yeah. <laughs> I accidentally dated a murderer. So I just think honesty is the best policy. Eat the bean dip. Find out what happens. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Okay. <laughs> those, are, those are good rules. For <laughs> eat the bean dip. Let the, let the, let the bodily functions it. fly. Put all your cards out on the table and see what happens. All right. Oh, oh, wow. You are so funny. <laughs> yeah, thanks oh for gosh. laughing at my pain. I understand. I mean, that's what this is all about. It makes it less painful when we can laugh about it together. Oh. And then you feel like you're really getting to know someone. I love to tell my murder story, but I really enjoyed telling the longer version of that because, you know, I never get to really say what the foundation under that was. Like all of this, like, where was my intuition? You know, it was in his underwear (laughs) next to my ring. I don't know. But, you know, I never really got to say that part. And I just really enjoyed that opportunity to talk about because, you know, comedy always has this Greek tragedy, tragedy comedy thing. So there's always something that's got a little tinge. Something to explore. Yeah, of pain to it where you're like, eh. Mm -hmm. And so you write a joke about it. And uh, so that's what I did. You know, once I kind of recovered from what the hell just happened. And who's going to take out my garbage now? Once I got through that, uh, I wrote a joke about it. But it's difficult on stage sometimes to cover all the nuances of something that I'd love yeah, to cover. Yeah, for sure. You know, that I like to cover as a storyteller or I like to cover in, a, in an essay. So that was just so fun. Katie, tell my listeners all the places where they can find you online and in person. Yes, thank you very much. You can find my show Laugh Gallery online at laughgalleryusa.com. And we are always accepting funny videos. We pay to play your video. 
And it's literally comics and funny people, comedic actors, but you don't have to be a comic. We like funny videos of people reviewing art. And if you go to laugh underscore gallery on Instagram, you'll see some of the examples of what people have done just to bridge that gap to get the art in the hands of the people. And it's such a fun project. I'm really proud of that. That's the brainchild of Scott Power with Crew West Studio. I was so excited when I was doing some writing for him and he called me and said, how would you like to work with me on this show? And I about jumped through the phone because it, it just encompasses everything I love. I like silly stuff. And I also like to do good in the world at the same time. If I can mix those two, well, mm-hmm. hallelujah. And then the other place you can find me obviously is online, uh, writelaughlove.com. I coach writers so I can coach writers on anything from serious to, as you know, I have a little bit of serious in me, just a tiny bit. Um, but obviously on books, business books, whatever. And I also write a little bit of content. And then my memoir is forthcoming, um, just making the publishing rounds right now. So we'll see where that lands. And then uh, I'm starting to head back on stage. And then, of course, Laugh Gallery will put together exhibitions and stand up for our stand up comedians that have done our fun videos. We'll also have them live with some artists and we'll have a really cool hybrid show for Laugh Gallery, which will be a live version of the show's concept, which will be really cool. Oh, fun. Yeah, we're, we're doing some really fun things. So I will be out there telling my wackadoodle stories. I love this show and I, I really, I, I had, I had fun listening to all the other guests and I wish you guys so much luck with this because I think it's a great premise. Oh, well, thank you. It was so much fun having you on. I'd love to have you on again soon. And I will definitely link to all of your places where we can find you in the show notes at fancyfreepodcast.com. Thank you. So, oh my gosh, Katie, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Oh my gosh, you guys. I had so much fun talking to Katie. She is, she's crazy. She's such a hoot. She had more stories too that we didn't have time to get to. So you just might be treated to a Katie Love part two in the very near future. Make sure to check out today's show notes at fancyfreepodcast.com slash episode 115 to get all the links to the things that we mentioned in our conversation. And I just want to let you know that... Katie will be appearing at the Laugh Gallery live event at ArtShare in LA on September 25th. If you're interested in attending or want more details, make sure you follow laugh underscore gallery on Instagram for details. You have one more week to join the Fancy Free Tribe newsletter mailing list to be entered to win one of three Flex of Gold journals from Rachel Nielsen of 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms podcast. And you guys, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, you have to go back and listen. Rachel is absolutely adorable. Her story is hilarious and her Flex of Gold journal is amazing. On Wednesday, July 4th, I will be picking three winners randomly from all of the participants in the Fancy Free Tribe newsletter list. So if you haven't yet joined, go to fancyfreepodcast.com, scroll all the way down to the bottom. All we need is your first name and your email address. And you will be entered to win a gorgeous flex of gold journal, which would be so good for you to use yourself or to give as a gift. Next week on the show, we have Carol Miller. And you guys, this was such an interesting interview. She is such a creative entrepreneur. I was just fascinated by the different 
business concepts she's come up with, and you are going to love this episode. Make sure that you press follow on whatever podcast listening platform you're using so that new episodes pop into your feed each week. If you have a story to tell, make sure to email notfancy at fancyfreepodcast.com. I have a really fun one for you guys, but I, I don't have it quite put together. So you have that to look forward to next week too. So next week, we will definitely have a listener story segment. If you want more connection, laughter, and sharing, join the Fancy Free Facebook group. It's our own little private slice of the internet. The question of the week this week is, what is the most surprising fact that you found out about somebody that you felt like you should have already known really well? Also, make sure to go to shelfieshop.com, S-H-E-L-F-I-E-S-H-O-P-P-E.com to buy your super cozy built-in shelf bra loungewear designed by me and manufactured here in the United States. If you use the code FANCYFREE, you'll get free shipping within the U.S. and orders are available worldwide. Have a wonderful week and remember, no one is as fancy as they look. <laughs>